Okay, so tonight we'll look at the book of Galatians. Galatians in the New Testament there, moving our way through. We finished first, second, or second Corinthians last week. And so next week being a holiday week, we normally do not, we, we're not going to meet. We, we normally do not meet on the Wednesday night of Thanksgiving week. So we won't be meeting next week, Lord willing, unless something happens unforeseen. We'll be back the following week and um, Ephesians, uh, we'll move on into Ephesians two weeks from tonight. So uh, right now, tonight we're looking at Galatians. And so there's a lot in there, but it's not near as lengthy as uh, the previous books. Um, of course, the Gospels, and they're, they're all, most of them are fairly long. And then you get to Romans and 1 Corinthians, those are 16 chapters each, and then 13 in 2 Corinthians. But Galatians is six chapters and uh, a little shorter. And so let's start as we look at Galatians tonight. Um, this is probably in your way in it, Terry. Um, the, uh, the theme of Galatians would be in Christ crucified. You see the phrase in Christ in Paul's letters a good bit. And it describes our position of who we are in Jesus Christ. And we'll see that. We've seen it already in Romans and in the, both the Corinthian letters. And we'll see it tonight a little bit. And also in our others, especially in Ephesians, you see that phrase. But in Christ. And in Christ crucified is what we see in Galatians. And the key verse... I don't always have a key verse for each of our books that we study, but there's one definitely for Galatians. And it's chapter 6 and verse 14, where Paul says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. So Paul says, if I'm going to glory, if I'm going to boast, if I'm going to brag about something, it's going to be only in Jesus himself. And he says, by the way, um, by that same cross, we're crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to us. Meaning that as a believer in Jesus Christ, the, um, the desires and pull of the world should become less and less. As we grow in grace, um, it should be less and less in our life. So, um, just looking a little bit with our Acts timeline to give you an idea on the events and, and the, the letter, or when Paul, uh, Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians. Um, Acts, of course, occurred somewhere around 33, well, 33 after, you know, when Jesus had risen from the dead and later ascended uh, to heaven, 33 A.D. to about 65 A.D. is the, is the time period. So roughly uh, 30, a little over 30 years, almost the length of the life of Jesus, um, but about 32 years or so, uh, the book of Acts takes place. And then um, the first missionary journey that Paul, um, where he went on his first journey was to a region around there in Galatia, and, and he visited there. And that was about 47 to 48 A.D., and uh, that's when he, when he visited there. Let's look at a couple of maps and get an idea of where it's located, and then we're going to go uh, into the book a little more. So, as we'll see in a moment, Paul writes to the believers, to churches, plural, in Galatia, not just one church. And as you see up here, um, I've, got another, I've got two more maps I'll show you in a moment to give you an idea of where it's located uh, as far as where Israel is, Jerusalem, you know, and looking to where, uh, where it goes north. So on his first missionary journey, that red there outlines that, the arrows and the, the lines outline where they left from Antioch. Remember, by the time the first missionary journey, the headquarters of the church, we studied Acts, moved from Jerusalem to Antioch in Syria because by uh, as, as the book of Acts continued on, Further and further into it, more and more of the converts were, were uh, Gentiles and not Jews. And so the um, headquarters, so to speak, moved from Jerusalem, where, you know, where it was uh, at the first, 
to Antioch of Syria, which is north. You'll see it in another map a little better in just a moment. But anyway, he takes that first missionary journey, and he ends up going through before the end of that journey. As, uh, as he goes around, he's about, um, he, he, he makes, uh, goes this way and comes back uh, around as he, as he finishes and finishes up. But anyway, he makes his way to this region of Galatia. It's where he where he's uh, the 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 letters going. It's the people to whom he had won converts and, and led many to Christ there. So roughly about 47, 48 AD, somewhere in there's that first missionary journey and where he ends up around Galatia. So when you look at a little bit bigger map, uh, this is Syria here. Antioch is again, that's the, the headquarters moved up from Jerusalem. And you see um, there's also another Antioch. That's called Antioch of Pisidia. That's a different Antioch, same town of the same name, just two different Antiochs. And in, in the New Testament, you see this one mentioned uh, a little bit in the Acts, but mostly it's Antioch of Syria. So at any rate, this town in Syria is a, um, is a town called Tarsus. Now, for some reason, Damascus is... Not, oh, here it is. Damascus is down here. It's way down. When Paul got saved in Acts 9, and he was, uh, he was on that horse riding uh, to take uh, letters to the, to the uh, Jewish leaders, he was in Damascus. That's where he met the Lord. That's where he got saved. But he, um, he, he's from this place, this region called Tarsus. Now, he's Jewish, but he was from this area, this region that's part of, of Syria, he was from Tarsus there. So uh, anyway, uh, he ends up on his first trip, there's Galatia. And you keep going to your west, you're in Asia Minor here, you're, you're towards the western part of the continent of Asia. So give it a little bit better idea. You see uh, Israel down here, there's Jerusalem, and uh, Antioch is here. It's a little blurry, but that's the best I can do on that map that I found. There's Galatia, and then you look, keep going to your west, you'll see Italy over there. And uh, up above it, you know, of course, is uh, the rest of Europe and, you know, modern day one of Germany and France and, and everything up there. Um, but this is Italy and this would be Greece area right here, Macedonia, all that's uh, Greece in that area. And so you're going to the western part of Asia, just about into Europe at that point. So anyway, he's in, uh, he's in Galatia is a region that he travels in. He comes back uh, or after he gets back for a while, actually on his third journey. He goes on his second journey, then his third journey, about 54 roughly A.D. He wrote to Galatians about 57 A.D., one of the first letters he wrote. Now, um, the earliest one, most people say that the earlier, earliest of those letters that we have in Scripture is 1 Thessalonians. We'll get to that when we get to 1 Thessalonians. But Galatians was an early letter that he wrote, and he wrote on his third journey. And uh, about you know, 12, 10, 12 years later, he's, um, he's martyred. Uh, after he wrote Galatians. So he writes it on his third missionary journey. He visited him on his first journey, writes a letter on his third journey, and a lot of things took place from the time he visited there to the time he wrote them, and we'll see that as we go through in just a little bit. So now let's go into a major, just kind of a four-point, uh, four-category uh, outline of uh, the book, and um, course combined uh, two chapters each of the second two but the first one is the priority of grace in Paul's life a uh, message in life we see the priority of it as he begins he talks to them uh, very early in the book after he greets them uh, about this importance of understanding grace the whole book is about that 
Second thing, we see the priority in chapter 2, the priority of grace in his ministry. And um, there's, um, as we get to chapter 2, we'll look at a few highlights about that. Then in chapters 3 and 4, there's the priority of grace over law. And when you get to chapter 4 and 5 and 6, you get into more practical, especially 5 and 6, a more practical part of uh, the book of Galatians. There's the priority of grace over law. And chapters 3 and 4 are very similar in a lot of ways to what we saw in Romans when Paul talked about the gospel in chapters 3 and 4 that we're all sinners. And he uses the example of Abraham uh, and his faith. And so he, Paul does the same thing with the Galatians. He writes about Abraham and his faith, and that's found in chapter 3, and uh, also a little bit in chapter 4. But it gives a priority of grace over law. Of course, law would be, you know, the Old Testament and, you know, Israel in the Old Testament. Chapters 5 and 6, he gives the priority of grace in Christian living. Very practical chapters, and we'll probably spend a little more time on some of the highlights in those chapters than we do the others. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, he greets them. Um, this is the only letter that Paul writes that's not addressed to a specific church, but rather to churches. Um, Romans to the, to the church, to the Christians at Rome, to 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he writes to the church at Corinth. Let's look at uh, verse 1 to 5 in the greeting just, just as we start tonight. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And uh, he... And partly because it's so early uh, a letter that he writes, and also because of the fact that he had already visited them, he reminds them that he's an apostle and that his calling was not from men, it's from, from God himself, from the Lord Jesus himself. Verse 2, And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches, notice it's plural, churches of Galatia. So oftentimes there would be a church in Rome or a church in uh, Colossae or a church at Ephesus. And again, understand 21st century, we, it's kind of foreign to us a little bit. They didn't have the buildings we had. So when he writes to the church, a lot of times it would be these different either underground or in somebody's house, uh, places where they meet when he writes to the church. So they didn't necessarily meet all in one building. Um, but anyway, there were a number of churches in Galatia and he writes one letter that's to go to all of them in that whole region. And as you read through, as we see some of the things he confronts in here, we understand why. So, But it's the only one that's not addressed to a specific church, but to the churches in that region in, in Galatia. In chapter 1, verse 6 to 10, he spends some time getting, uh, making sure they get the gospel right. We'll come back to that. This is just a little bit deeper of an outline than what we had earlier. He gives some personal facts about his life and his calling in chapter 1, verse 11 through 2, verse 14. And then in 2.15 to 4.31, a pretty good uh, section of the letter, there's a lot of the doctrinal truth about salvation he covers, including talking about Abraham and his faith. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, through the first 10 verses of chapter 6, he talks to them about freedom in Christ versus the bondage of the law. And so we'll, we'll look a little bit at some of those passages tonight, too. Um, basically, in chapter 6, 11 to 18, he just gives a, a closing uh, to them and uh, greets them and says a few personal things to them, which we'll look at a little bit, one or two of those things tonight. Chapter 1, verse 2, again, uh, other letters were written to a church. This was written to a number of churches in Galatia. And so that's where it differs 
from some of his other, most of his other letters that he wrote. Chapter 1, verse 4, he says something, makes a statement here. We read, um, I don't think I got quite down to this while ago. Verse 4, um, well, verse 3 and 4. Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. We looked at this a little bit last week, if you were here or listened to our Second Corinthians study um, we talked about this a little bit last week, but he refers to this world we live in as this present evil world. And again, when he's talking about that, he's not talking about planet Earth itself. He's talking about the world's system, the world's values, the, the world, uh, how it leaves God out of everything. Ephesians 6 verse 12 tells us that uh, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Spiritual darkness, spiritual wickedness. And then in 1 John 2, verse 15 to 17, he says, Love not the things that are in the world. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So he, he mentions and, and begins saying that he saved us, he's, he's delivered us, saved us from our sins, and um, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil world. Now, we know that won't be in its fullness until he takes us home at death or the rapture, but we're delivered in the sense that we are not under the curse of being lost anymore. So we're delivered from that. So he mentions the present evil world, chapter 1, verse 4. Then in chapter 1, verse 6 to 9, Paul defends the gospel. And this, he comes right out of the box after he greets them and begins to, t uh, to tell them Apparently, news had got back to him from the time he visited him on the first journey to skip the second journey to the third journey, to those years that passed. Apparently, some um, information had gotten to him from some of the other brethren that there were those in, those, in the churches there that were teaching uh, a false gospel. Look what he says in verse 6. Let me see. Come back. Yeah, we're going to look at this. Look at verse 6. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. The gospel, of course, is all about grace. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, a very familiar passage of verses should be to you. Paul says that this is the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so uh, the gospel is founded in the very grace of God. We can't earn salvation by any way. We can't uh, earn God's favor. We can't merit, merit his favor in any way. Salvation is by grace through faith. And of course, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 tells us that also. But he defines the gospel that it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And he says to them in verse 6, he says, You've been, I, I just marvel. I'm just at wonder. I'm just. I'm just trying to figure this out, that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. That word another has two definitions depending on what you're talking about. There's another of the same kind or another of a different kind. Let's say, um, let's say I'm at work and I tear my shirt. This would never happen. Not tearing my shirt. I probably would do that. But let's say my boss says, I'm going to buy you another shirt. Okay? And um, he buys me another shirt. That would never happen. But anyway, I'm going to buy you another shirt. Well, he brings me a shirt. I'm wearing a blue shirt that day. He brings me a white shirt. Is it another shirt? Yeah, it's another shirt. 
Okay, let's say that I tore my blue shirt and he gets it and I take it off. He looks on the label. He goes to the store that has that very same shirt. Is that another shirt? Mm -hmm. It's another of the same kind. See, so that word another means can mean two things. It can mean another of the same kind or it can be another of a different kind. It was a different brand and it was white rather than blue. Or the same kind would be that it's blue, it's the same label, the same manufacturer, the very same size it was. Everything's exactly the same, and it's the same that way. Well, Paul says you've been called unto another. I mean, you have, you have not called to, but you have embraced another gospel. And it's not another of the same kind. It's another of a different kind. It's a gospel that's not the gospel of the grace of God. Pick up at verse 7 which is not another. So it looks like he's contradicting. He said it's another, then he says not another. It's not another of the same kind, is what he's saying. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. To accursed means God, let God bring a curse upon him uh, because of that. And then in verse 9, he, he says it again. He re repeats himself, as preachers li uh, like to do sometimes. As we said there before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel of a different kind, any other gospel um, unto you that you've received, let him be accursed. So he tells them, look, you're, you're looking, you're, you're receiving a gospel that's not the gospel. Go back to Acts chapter 15 for a moment, if you will, with me. Acts 15. So this actually, Paul is really referring to this event in Acts 15. What was going on here? Well, there are 28 chapters in Acts. In, in Acts 15, you just, we've just passed the halfway mark and we're in chapter 15. So what was going on? By the time Acts 15 rolls around, there are more Gentiles being saved than Jews being saved. And there are some there who are trying to say, well, for these Gentiles to really, you know, for them to, to know the gospel, really uh, know where the gospel is and to be saved, they need to come under the law. Specifically, they need to be circumcised, which knocks out half of your, <laughs> half your group there. They need to be circumcised. They need to come under the Jewish law. Let's see what it says here, Acts 15, verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren. Now, that's the region there outside of Jerusalem. It's right there close by taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here they are. Uh, it calls them brethren. Uh, this is they're teaching the brethren. calls them certain men. So they were saying they have to basically come under the law that Moses gave to be saved. Now, the, the law has time and place. And circumcision actually is not going to get into a medical thing, but circumcision is a physical thing that often is done at birth for little babies, like baby boys. But um, it's not something anywhere that was ever shown in the, the Old Testament that they were to be saved. What was that? That was a covenant for Israel. That, that circumcision was the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, because Abraham believed God, the Bible says he's our example of faith. But going under that Mosaic law under Abraham and then repeated under Moses, whenever Moses got the law, that's not going to save anybody. Pick up at verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, 
and disputation with them, that's a very nice way of putting an understatement. They got pretty hot under the collar about it. They had right to. Look what it says. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. Now, even though this word is not used here, this might be what you might call the first church council, I guess. C-O-U-N-C-I-L, not S-E-L. The first church council. If you want to call it that, that word is not used here. But basically they have they come together into terms here. Verse 3, And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, and you're heading north there, going towards, or going or rather from, um, or, or t- back towards, uh, from, I'll get it right in a minute, they were coming from the way north there, back to Jerusalem. Um, declaring, look at this, the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which, uh uh-oh, this is the dangerous thing. These Pharisees believed. These Pharisees had been believers. They had trusted Christ. But look what happened to them. And we're going to get to this a little further in Galatians saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when they had much, been much disputing, Peter rose up, and then he talks about, and there for time's sake, we're not going to read this whole section, but he talks about how God had, even in the Old Testament, said that he was going to give light to the Gentiles. He was going to, he was going to reach to the Gentiles. Um, Look at verse nine, uh, 9, and put no difference between us Jews, Peter says, and them Gentiles, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? And Peter says, look, um, don't put this burden on these, these Gentile believers. We weren't able to bear all the law. Don't put them under the law. Verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. In other words, Peter says we get saved the same way. Gentiles as Jews, it's in trusting Christ, not going under the law. So he tells them, look, uh, these people, they, they were brethren, okay? That was the dangerous thing. So how do we apply that today? You hear a lot of preachers that are, you know, they're well-intended, and, 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 and they talk about the gospel, and they talk about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But sure enough, if you're not careful, they're going to add something. You've got to join this church. You've got to fill out a card. You've got to do this and this and this to be saved, to really be saved. And they made it very clear in Acts 15, that's not the gospel. You don't put somebody back under some other obligation because Jesus did it all. He paid for it all, and so... Uh, Paul and Barnabas got pretty hot under the collar about it whenever that happened, and rightly so. And they wanted uh, wanted them to, um, you know, to understand. Look, this isn't right. And so he writes to the Galatians about that and tells them, "Look, you you're removing yourself from the truth and the purity of the gospel." And so he corrects them on that. Galatians one verse seventeen and eighteen. Uh, skip down there. We need to move on tonight and. Um, the sixth chapter, so we're probably not going to be quite as long, but we'll see. <laughs> chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. Neither went out to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went unto Arabia and returned unto Damascus. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. 
Jesus, went, uh, Paul went to the Jesus Bible Institute. There's no better one to go to. And for three years, Jesus personally taught him. Look at verse 11 and 12. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, post-resurrection, taught Paul for three years. Isn't that an interesting thing? He went to, he got the best Bible Institute training anybody could. And um, he taught him personally for three years, it said, Paul said that the Lord taught him. And so he understood clearly what this meant, what that meant. He understood clearly all the things in the Gospels that were probably just still being written then. Jesus gave them to him directly. Jesus told him in the old, where he ties in the Old Testament. He gave him everything Paul needed to know. And then later you see it reflected in his letters. Now, he already knew the Old Testament law. The Bible says, he, he talks about that later, that he said, look, I was a Jew, and, and I was, a, I was a, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he calls himself. And I knew the law very well. And so until he knew Jesus, he never connected the two. But boy, once he did that in that three years, you know he had a lot, of, a lot of fun times learning the Word, didn't he? Especially sitting under Jesus. And then in Galatians 1.19, he talks about how when he went back to see the apostles, but other apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. In Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, uh, it mentions where Jesus is uh, standing outside teaching one day. Uh, and then uh, as, he's, as he's teaching outside of, of, the, of a house there, in, uh, here comes Mary and uh, Jesus' four brothers and sisters, at least two sisters, but four brothers and sisters. And one of them is named James, and that name is found there in verse 19. So if you make notes or put something to mark your Bible, Acts 6, or excuse me, Mark 6, 3 uh, names him there as being one of the Lord's, um, one of the Lord's brethren. His name is James. So at least one brother... Uh, trusted the Lord as his Savior. Isn't that great to know? Well, at least one of Jesus' brothers, half-brothers, I guess you could say. Galatians 2.9, if you'll skip over there for just a moment, um, it mentions what, what often is called the inner circle. Galatians 2, verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go into the heathen, that is the Gentiles, and they to the circumcision, that is the Jews. So Paul was called to be an apostle, but he is specifically and specially called to the Gentiles. Now, he did at times preach to the Jews. In fact, there were times that some miracles were done uh, when Jews were present. But he mostly was sent to, to, as being an apostle to the Gentiles, whereas the others were of the original 12, and they were apostles to, uh, to, the, to the Jews. But it mentions James, Cephas, and John. Cephas is another name for Peter, and First John, or excuse me, John chapter one tells us that. So his name was Simon, Peter, and also Cephas. He had three names, and um, sometimes in Paul's letters he's referred to Cephas. But they're what we call the inner circle. If you look in Mark's gospel, and we won't go back to that because we we actually looked at this when we studied Mark, chapter five, verse thirty-seven, chapter nine, verse one and two chapter 13, verse 3, and chapter 14, verse 33, these are places where uh, Jesus, um, when uh, some miracles that he performed. Um, one of them was when he raised a little girl from the dead. Um, one of them was um, when he, uh, I believe, when he cast out an evil, evil spirit. And then there's a, uh, the time where Jesus is um, in chapter 13, or excuse me, 9, verse 22, it's where Jesus... Um, 
takes those three up with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, Moses and Elijah appear to him. But there's some events where just those three of the twelve went with Jesus uh, as he did these certain things. So these were brethren that were close. These were apostles that were three of the, of, of the twelve. They were the three closest. And so it says that in verse 9, they seem to be pillars, perceived that grace was given unto me. Notice that's not a pillar you sleep on, but that's a pillar like in to hold up a building. And what he's saying here is these three were, you know, of the twelve apostles, the steadfast ones that stayed there in Jerusalem. Uh, as long as possible. Some of the others scattered and went to some other regions and took the gospel, but these three were there um, in Jerusalem. And then as he talks to them, um, he's, he's referring back to when he talked to them and talked about how that Paul was going to the Gentiles and they were going to uh, minister to the Jews, to Israel. In 2 verse 16, this is a very key verse in the whole book. And this is where we get into the section, chapter 2 and 3, about um, the doctrinal section about the gospel and about believing and about the, the law. Look at verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Now the word to justify means to declare righteous. So when a person trusts Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, we saw that in Romans um, in a couple of places, Romans 3, verse 6, and Romans 4, verse 5. When we're saved, we are justified. We are declared righteous. We've been justified. But, um, God declares us righteous in Jesus Christ. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So he kind of sandwiches that verse. He puts the first phrase saying that a man is not justified by the works of the law and then closes it by saying the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And sandwiched in between it is, are those two key words, believe, oh, it's believed, past tense, uh, believed, and faith is sandwiched right there in the middle of that verse. This is a great verse to memorize, a great verse that goes along with the other verses about justification, about the gospel. In Romans 3, when we studied it the other week, and in Romans 4, we looked at two verses about that, where it talks about how Abraham uh, was uh, believed God, and God counted it to him for righteousness. All right? Chapter 2, verse 20. This, um, some would say that 2.20 is the key verse to Galatians, and it very well may be, uh, but it also mentions crucifixion like we saw in chapter 6, verse 14, where Paul said that if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in the Lord Jesus, whereby I, um, in his crucifixion, whereby I'm crucified in the world and the world into me. This verse also talks about crucifixion, but he talks about it in a practical daily way for you and for me every day. I am crucified with Christ, Paul says. Nevertheless, I live. So we're crucified in the sense that now our, our, sin, our sin debt's been paid. We're crucified in that now we no longer have to give in to our sin nature, even though it's still there. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Why is that? Because when we're saved, the Bible says we're born again. We have a new nature within us. We've been born again. Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, in this, in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So uh, this is a great verse to, um, to memorize, and it's a great verse to remember day by day, that we're crucified with Christ. 
and when temptation comes and when days come that um, things seem to really get hard and difficult and to, to remind ourselves of that. I'm crucified with Christ. I don't have to give in to temptation. Let's uh, look at a couple of references. We didn't on that last one, but I do want to look at a couple here. Luke chapter 9. I think I mentioned this Sunday in the, in the message Sunday, actually. Chapter 9, verse 23. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I live this life by faith in the Son of God. Verse 23 of Luke 9. And he said unto them, this is Jesus, he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. We're crucified with Christ, so that means that, in a sense, uh, that means a cross for us. And Jesus said, uh, if you've trusted me, if you believed on me, take up your cross daily, follow me. Because following him before salvation doesn't really mean anything. Until we're saved, following him is not going to mean anything. Um, but he says, once, you know, for the person saved, follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. And I think, as I mentioned Sunday, that taking up our cross is simply living for Jesus in the, in the circumstances which we find ourselves day by day. Take up your cross daily, he says, and follow me. We're crucified with Christ. Uh, Romans 8 talks about this same truth and um, victory through, through um, the, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, Romans 8, 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And then uh, we'll get to this one again in just a moment, but f uh, Galatians five sixteen, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the key to the Christian life, if, if I could do this every day, if you could do this every day, but you know, practicality doesn't always happen like we really want it to, simply is to die to self, to die to self-efforts, to, to die to, to the flesh and fleshly pull and desire. That's the hardest thing in the world to do because we've got to, we've got to fight this flesh until God calls us home. So 2.20 is a good, great verse to memorize, crucify with Christ. Now, something interesting he says here also, He's writing to them about grace. He's writing to them about the, the comparing or contrasting grace and the law. And in doing so, he says something interesting here. Verse 2 of chapter 3. This only what I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Well, back in chapter 2, verse 16, we see that you can't be justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Here it says... And he asks the question, says, Do you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? By the hearing of faith. So what he's saying here really is he's equating salvation. When you're saved, you've received the Holy Spirit. We're born again. We have His Spirit within us. The Bible says um, our body becomes a temple of the Holy Ghost, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, did you receive the Spirit by the law or by, or by faith? By faith, of course, just as salvation is by faith. And he, he shows the, um, um, the, same, the sameness in those two in receiving it by faith. Chapter 3, verse 11, this is quoted. When we studied Habakkuk a couple of months ago, this is quoted from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, and verse 4. So 3.11 says this, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God it is evident for, this is from Habakkuk 2, but the just shall live by faith. Um, this is quoted three times in the New Testament, Romans 1.17, and it puts the emphasis on the just there, uh, the ones who've been justified by faith in Christ. Hebrews 10 verse 38 puts the emphasis on shall live, the just shall live by faith. 
And then Galatians 3.11 puts the emphasis, it emphasizes by faith. And so these three passages in the New Testament uh, quote that one little verse out of Habakkuk, that the just shall live by faith. And so um, the, he quotes that from Habakkuk to, to show us that in the Old Testament, the law couldn't justify anybody. Faith justified them. So they were justified in the same way in the Old Testament. They believed God, and because of that, God gave them. He justified them just as he did with Abraham. But in the New Testament, we have the benefits that they don't, or that they didn't have. We live on this side of the cross, so to speak, where they lived back in the Old Testament time. 3.13 is actually quoted from Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, from the law. And it says this, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed that is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Uh, we have several of our songs we sing, some of our hymns, um, and it mentions tree. You say, well, he was crucified on a cross, not on a tree. Well, uh, the Old Testament law says that uh, cursed is he that hangs from a tree. But, of course, a cross is made from wood, and so the cross being the, you know, the, the shape that it is, but it's made from wood. And so way back in the Old Testament law, we see a reference. That Moses, when he wrote it, he had no idea of this. But we see a reference there of the crucifixion of Jesus, that he was going to die and be placed on a wooden cross made from a tree. And so he became a curse for us. Verse 13 says, being made a curse for us. He became our sin, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So he became our curse. Curse is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And that's a quote from Deuteronomy. It's going to get a little quicker in a moment uh, or a little more detail, however you want to say it. So in chapter 4, verse 4, he says a verse that he, he gives us a, in this verse something that's just so full of so much to study. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. There are a lot of references and prophecy references in the Old Testament found there. But God, the Bible says when the fullness of the time was come. Sometimes uh, I've, I've been asked the question, I've read other places where pastors and uh, teachers and stuff are asked the question, why did God send Jesus when he did? The only answer I can give is where verse chapter 4, verse 4 says when the fullness of the time was come. I don't know. I don't know why he didn't send him before David was king. I don't know why he didn't send him before Israel went into or and Israel and Judah went into captivity. I don't know. Only God knows that. He had a plan and has a plan. But it says when the fullness of the time was come, God sent His Son, and He was it was says there that He was made of a woman, made under the law. So God saw that the time was right, the fullness of time. There are several factors that go into this. For one thing, is when Jesus came, it was like. Uh, similar to the first time, um, or, or to, uh, to when Israel was um, was actually being delivered from from uh, uh, Egypt, um, Pharaoh was in power. They were under world power, and they had to flee. Well, when Jesus came and he was born, then uh, when he was born, they were under Rome's power, and then uh, Herod wanted to 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 uh, destroy those little baby boys. We know it was the fullness of time because. Whenever Jesus came, Rome being the world power, they made throughout all the Roman region, everywhere, every city that had, you know, they were all under Rome's power somehow. They had a, a roadway system that was just, you know, Rome wasn't anybody you'd want to, you, you didn't want to be really friends with, any, with, with Caesar or any Roman leaders, but you had to give it to them. They had a great roadway system. And so whenever it was time for Jesus to be born, and then once he died under Roman law, 
on a cross. Jews didn't do that. That's not how they, they stoned people. So he had to be on a cross. Roman law was that criminals, whoever they saw as a criminal, died on a cross, a crucifixion. And so Jesus died on a cross under Roman law. Those roadways were made that once Jesus rose from the dead and the apostles, including Paul, could travel easily and quickly all throughout the Roman Empire to get the gospel out. And it says that he was made of a woman. We know that Isaiah said that a virgin shall conceive, and that was Mary. And then it says that uh, made under the law, and he came when the law was in its fullest. It had gone its course, and by the time Jesus was born, the law proved that, you know, it was disintegrating all around them spiritually. They still had these religious leaders with all the law, and all the law they kept wasn't going to help them spiritually. They needed a Messiah. They needed a Savior. They needed to deliver. So God sent him, and he came at the right time. So that's the only answer I can give, as the Bible says, when the fullness of the time was come. Here's something I want to spend a couple of minutes in. We're going to have to do before we close tonight. Chapter 5, verse 4 has a phrase in it that confuses a lot of people. Let's look at chapter 5, start at verse 1, and then read down to verse 4 to get a context. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What would the yoke of bondage be? Going back under the law. That's why in chapter 1 he nailed down to make sure, look, you're getting away from the gospel. You've done like they did in the book of Acts when these Pharisees that had believed they came telling everybody else, well, you know, we believe, but everybody else has got, all these Gentiles have got to be like us. They've got to come under the law so that they can be saved. And so Paul says, look, you're, you, you need to stand fast because there have, you know, there's been this false teaching of another gospel. Verse 2, behold, Paul, I say unto you, if you be, he goes back and, and repeats what he's talking about. If you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Going under the law, it's not going to give you, it's not going to help you any, not a bit. Verse 3, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he's a debtor to do the whole law. Now, what he's saying is, if you're going to keep that one little law or, or make Men have to keep that law to under, to be part, to get the gospel too. He said, "You've got to do everything then, not just that one law." In the book of James, I wish I'd looked the reference up. I didn't do that. In the book of James, the Bible says that um, if you offend in one part of the law, you're guilty of all of it. So Paul says here, "Look, if you're going to keep the law, just tell them they got to keep everything, not just one little law." And so what he's doing, he's being ridiculous with them. You can't do that. You can't keep that law, and only grace will save you. Verse 4. Here we go. Understand this. Christ has become of no effect unto you. In other words, the law would mean you're adding something to what Jesus did. So why did he die on the cross if you're going under the law? The, the Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, here's the phrase, ye are fallen from grace. Some people misunderstand that and say that a person can fall away or fall out of salvation or lose their salvation. That's not what that's talking about at all. Falling from grace, it can't mean to lose your salvation because you can't. It simply means that they have fallen away from the purity and the truth of what the gospel is, and they've added works to it. Go back to 2.16 one more time, and we'll see this verse yet again and understand it. How had they fallen from grace? They were embracing the law with grace. Verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. 3.11. 
and no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just uh, shall live by faith. So he's telling them, if you're trying to go back under the law, you've fallen from grace. That means you've fallen away from what grace is all about. It has nothing to do with losing salvation or anything like that. It means you're going back and embracing the law, and you're falling away from what grace is all about in the first place. All right? Uh, chapter 6, verse 2 he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But then in chapter 6, verse 5, he says, for every man shall bear his own burden. Now that seems contradictory, but it's not. Sometimes they're brothers and sisters in Christ. We bear their burden. We pray for them. We pray with them, maybe. We take them food when they're sick, maybe, or maybe they've lost a loved one. We do something to encourage them, something to help them and bear their burden. Uh, if, we can, if it's something we can do um, materially, or even something we can do you know, with our own hands, helping, uh, helping with something, maybe a project, or some way they've got a burden and we're helping them. Um, so it says when you do that, you fulfill the law of Christ. What is that? Loving, showing love for your brother or sister. Jesus said, if you love, you know, if you love me, love one another. This, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, you have loved one to another. But in chapter 6, verse 5, it says some burdens are to be handled alone. It says there... Um, Every man shall bear his own burden. That means there's some things in life that even though others give very kind, helpful words and pray for us, some things we have to go through ourselves. In other words, that we alone are bearing. It's something between us and the Lord. And, and others will pray for us, great, but we are actually dealing with that problem ourselves. And so what he's saying here is bear each other's burdens, but sometimes um, you have uh, your own burdens that you have to, that you have to deal with. Um, chapter 6, verse 7 through 9. Here's that uh, great law that's found from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. And it's simply the law of sowing and reaping. Ge Galatians 6, verse 7 to 9. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So it, in those verses, we often think of the bad sowing and reaping, and that's certainly there. But he says if you sow to the Spirit, you sow spiritual things, there's going to be spiritual blessing, there's going to be spiritual fruit, there's going to be spiritual enjoyment as a result of that. You reap what you sow more than you sow later than you sow it. Farmer goes out to sow... Um, Soybean or something. Well, he sows it and he looks the next day and he can't tell a difference. Has he sown the seed? Absolutely. But it takes a while for that seed to come up. It comes up later and it comes up usually a lot more than what you sow. And so, a lot, you know, most plants and, and uh, that which bears fruit of some kind or some kind of uh, grain or, or vegetable or something, you know, one plant can produce a whole lot uh, off of that one plant. Then you take sometimes seeds from it. And it just continues to multiply. So we reap what we sow more than we sow, later than we sow it. And that is a great truth all throughout Scripture. So tune up. Galatians 2 verse 20 is the key to the Christian life. We're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. 324, the Bible tells us that the law cannot save. I don't think I read that one um, in chapter 3 when we were there a while ago. I didn't. Uh, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law, the main purpose of the law is to show us that we can't keep it. And to look in the mirror of the law and understand 
wow, I can't do that. I, I fall short of that. Well, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, there are none righteous. Uh, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the law is our schoolmaster, it's our teacher to tell us, look, you need more than the law, you need a Savior. So it tells us that we might be justified by faith, that we might realize the need for uh, a Savior. 4.16, Paul says something to them, and apparently he knew that some of them were going to kind of bow up on what he had to say. Verse 16, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So sometimes the truth is not always popular, it's not always easy, but he tells them uh, the truth um, in, in this book and corrects some problems. Chapter 5, verse 1, we saw a while ago to stand in freedom, stand fast therefore in the liberty where with Christ has made us free. And then, along with chapter 6, we just read on the sowing and reaping. Uh, chapter 5, verse 16 to 26, gives us the great ongoing battle in the Christian life. And that is this flesh, this old nature, and the Holy Spirit in the new nature of the believer. We won't read the whole section. Uh, 5, 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts or desires or wars or battles against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to the one or the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And so in the next few verses, he mentions the works of the flesh. But then he talks about, starting in verse 22, he talks about the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. So if we, we constantly feed our old nature, um, then we're going to be... We're going to be led by that old nature. But if we're, we're feeding our spirit, prayer, reading the word, fellowshipping with other believers, witnessing um, things, things that feed the spirit, uh, praise, worship, things that feed the spirit, we'll walk in the spirit. And um, the desires of the flesh will be there, but the desires of the spirit will hopefully be stronger in our life. But it's an ongoing battle. And as Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus in Galatians, and we'll see this pretty much with a few exceptions, almost every one of Paul's letters, he refers to him as our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, again, this is a, a favorite phrase of Paul, title for Jesus that Paul uses because he's our resurrected Savior, he's risen from the dead, uh, calls him our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the, he uses that same term, and we saw it in Romans and the two letters to the Corinthians. So we're justified by faith, not the law. That's a good one to memorize. The fruit of the Spirit and sowing and reaping. And then one last verse, Galatians 6, verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them who are the household of faith. And so, uh, you know, we want to help people, unsaved people, to be a good testimony. And maybe if we get opportunities to get the gospel to them. But Paul says, especially those that are believers, let's, let's help believers Let's help believers that are in need and take care of one another and make that priority. Important to help lost people, hopefully point them to Jesus, but help other believers. All right, let's stop there. I thought I was going to be shorter than that tonight, but anyway, let's stop there. Wow, that's a lot in Galatians 2 in there. All right, any questions or input or comment tonight? All right, we'll stop there. Lord willing, in two weeks we'll be back and look in Ephesians uh, I don't know if I can keep that one under an hour either. It's going to be hard. All right, let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord, for the day you've given us. And we continue to pray for the Hale family that you'll give them strength and that you'll minister to their hearts and minds. We pray, Lord, for 
what we're learning in your word. Help us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. And thank you for the Apostle Paul and how uh, you taught him personally. And then, Lord, how he went um, on those missionary journeys and went to those churches. His heart was to see people saved and to see believers grow. And uh, we, we thank you for that very clear, simple ministry you gave to him. And may we, uh, may we repeat that in our church uh, as, as a group of believers in Jesus Christ. Pray that you'll watch over us as we leave from here tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.